Hey everybody, this is Steve Thomas. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Budge. A few months ago, we dedicated an entire episode to the survival dilemma. We talked about how survival is really not a place to live, it's not a place to work, and just simply surviving could do more damage than what you think. Then I began to wonder, is it possible that we as leaders actually perpetuate a survival mindset? That's what we're going to talk about today on Budge. Hope you enjoy. We're going to jump right into this and start talking about what we're going to talk about today. I have called this, if you notice from the email, the survival dilemma revisited. And I want to take just a moment and I want to talk about what I mean when I talk about what I call the survival mode or the survival mindset. And then I'll tell you why I believe that it's such... um, it's such a, a, a dilemma. So everybody on this call has just come out of um, come out of a, a, a weird year. And, and, and this we can say that because we know everybody in the world has come out of a weird year. For some it's been normal, for some it has not been, for some it's been great, for some it's been horrible. Uh, but we've all come out, I think we can all agree that it's just been a weird year. So I hope everybody on this call had a great Christmas. Again, one of my frustrations is I'd love to go around the horn here and go, did you have a great Christmas? Did you have a great Christmas? I hope you had a great Christmas. I hope you had a great New Year. Uh, it was asked just a little bit ago, we were chatting before everybody got on and said, how, how long do you go to wish somebody a happy New Year? So I think given what we went through in 2020, we're good to about July. And I don't think anybody have a problem with that at all. So, so a happy 2021. Uh, to everybody. So let's talk just a little bit about this survival mindset. We talked about this in October. So if you were on in October, you remember some of this. But a few years ago is when this whole thought process kind of struck me. And I began to realize that I think there's a high chance that there are a lot of people around our country that go to work every day and function in what I would call a survival mindset. A lot of that was brought on, that thought process was brought on by the fact that I would ask people this question, what do you want from work? And and when I begin to ask that question, I ask literally hundreds of people that question. So everywhere I'd go and I start a session, I would ask that question. And and I found out there were two camps, two camps of people. Um, there was the camp of people that said things like uh, challenge and satisfaction and happiness and, you know, I just want to, I want to give myself to something that's bigger than me. And there are all kinds of answers. And then there was the other camp, as you might guess, that a lot of people, and, and, and not as many as you would think, but there were several that said, I, I go to work because I have to, I go to work for a paycheck. I go to work to make ends meet. I go to work to take care of my family, uh, got to pay the bills, you know, those kinds of things. And so, as I begin to think through this and actually ask some further deeper questions to those particular people, I realized that these people were probably coming to work every single day in a survival mindset. And I just believe that we were made for so much more than just simply survival. Now, here's the dilemma. The dilemma is, yes, we have to survive, but it doesn't stop there. There should be so much more to just simply 
survival. So that launched me on this thought process and, um, and then taking that and kind of incorporating that was something I've been thinking about for many, many, many years way before that was I think that what we've done is we've created this work bubble. And there are so many people that go to work every day in this, what I call, what I call a work bubble. And, and, and that work bubble is what prompted somebody, and uh, believe it or not, it was the boomers, to come up with this phrase, work-life balance. Work-life balance. Like, what does that even mean, work-life balance? And so what that kind of tells us is that we have work here and we have life here and we're trying to balance the two. And and you maybe everybody on this call has been through this. You work like crazy to keep those things balanced. And then once you get them balanced, you just kind of put the word out to everybody, don't anybody move. Because if anybody moves the wrong direction, everything's completely out of balance. It just has never made sense to me. But I think that we've created this, this work bubble that we all function in. And, and because we made work a thing beyond the rest of life, I think that's where some of this survival mindset comes from. So that's kind of what I want to speak to a little bit today. So it, it, we talked about, again, just kind of reviewing a little bit from October. We talked about when somebody functions in a survival mindset, they are not the best version of themselves. They, when we're in a survival mindset, we are basically focused on us. We're focused on what I can get, how I can survive. I am here for my paycheck. And when that exists and when somebody functions in that mode, team and connection and all those other things that we look for and try to create in our organizations doesn't exist because I'm here for me. I'm here to survive. I'm here to function for my paycheck and you then become uh, either a tool to help me get that or you become an obstacle keeping me from get that. And so the, the focus really becomes on me. When you're, when you're in a survival mindset, there is this ongoing distressed feeling. You're distressed often that you, you, you're always looking for more. You're always looking for a way to just function and survive. And there's never extra and there's never above and beyond. Somebody who functions in survival mode, they're not looking to go above and beyond. They're not looking for anything extra. They're not looking to give anything extra. They are simply functioning on what can I do just to get by. Um, people, people that function in survival mode typically don't feel safe. There's no safety just in survival because if there was, I wouldn't just be trying to survive. I'd be trying to do so much more. So sometimes that safety is is not there. And so all of that comes because I think unknowingly and unconsciously over the years, we have created what I call a work bubble. Now, here's where I want to go today. Is there a chance that as leaders, we actually perpetuate that survival mindset? Is there a chance? And I'm just wondering. I'm not telling you there is or there isn't. I'm just wondering is there, is it possible that what we do and what we say as leaders, that we perpetuate that whole idea of just simply surviving? And, and, and I, I, I'm quite positive that if you're on this call, you're not doing it on purpose. 
Uh, people that are doing that on purpose are not going to be on a call like this. They don't care about growing. They don't care about moving beyond. They don't care about budging. But is there a chance that unconsciously we are creating and we are perpetuating this survival mindset? So that got me to thinking, and that's what I want to explore with you today. So I wanna, I'm going to start with two questions, and then I want to tell you some things that I'm wondering that are more specific than that. All right, here. so here are the, here are the two questions. What is your intention every day when you go to work? What is your intention? Now, again, if we were live, I would love to hear your verbal answers to this. What is your intention? Um, so think about that for just a moment. And if you have a pen and paper around you, kind of jot down a couple ideas. What's your intention every single day? Is your intention to just get crap done? Is your intention to uh, make that money, make that paycheck and go home? Is your intention to make a difference in somebody's life? What is your intention? And here's why I ask that question. Because your intention is very contagious. And your reasoning for being where you are, your why, as Simon Sinek says, your purpose is very contagious. And people can read that and know that and sense that and feel that by your actions, by your words, and, and, and sometimes even just by attitude. So what is your intention? Why do you come to work? Or what do you want from work every single day? So that's the first question. Here's the second question to play with. Why do you believe people come to work? Why do you believe people come to work? And I've been asking this question to, especially when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one sessions with leaders, I've been asking this question for years. Why do you believe people come to work? Why do you believe people come to work? And here's what I've said. This is what I believe. If you lead people based on the assumption that they are just there for a paycheck, it is going to negatively impact your leadership with them. Because when I believe that people come just for a paycheck, then I will lead them that way. So now they're no longer even a person, they're a machine. They're an object, just trying to get crap done. And even unknowingly and unconsciously, I will begin to lead that way. Why do you believe people come to work? Now, I'm not talking about what is reality. You say, yeah, but they really do come to work. I'm not talking about reality. I'm talking about your assumption. Your assumption. Why do you assume that people come to work? And... And when I lead people based on the assumption that they are there because they want to give themselves to something bigger than them, they're there for reward, they're there for satisfaction, uh, they're there for challenge, they're there to give themselves to something to make a difference in people's lives. When I lead on that assumption, it changes the way I approach people and work and things day to day. So here's an example of this. I, I was meeting, I was meeting with. Uh, an elementary school principal uh, one time in a land far, far away. We'll just call her Teresa. That was not her name, so don't anybody try to figure out who's he talking about because I got some... Anyway, so we'll just call her Teresa. So Teresa and I were sitting one-on-one -on -one at Starbucks because that is the ultimate coaching location. So we're sitting at Starbucks and we're chatting it up and I said, I want you to think about 
this question and come back and let's talk about it next week. Why do you believe people come to work? She said, okay. So she writes that down. She writes a couple other questions down. She comes back next week and said, all right, let's chat. Why do you believe people come to work? And she said, well, I struggle with that a little bit. And I said, well, tell me about that. She said, well, she began to tell me some of her anxiety about trying to answer that question. So I said, all right, let's make it simple then. Let's take Stephanie. Let's talk about Stephanie. Why do you believe Stephanie comes to work? Now, Stephanie at that time was about 26, 27 years old. She's a kindergarten teacher. Okay, so you get, you, you, I, I'm trying to set this scenario for you so you kind of wrap your mind around this. So she's a kindergarten teacher, 26, 27 years old. I said, why do you believe Stephanie comes to work? She said, do you want to know the truth? Said, yes, that's why I'm asking the question. I believe Stephanie comes to work for June, July, and August. I said, really? Now, in teacher talk, that means that Stephanie is coming to work so that she can have her summers off. I said, okay, before we get into the deeper elements of that answer, let's talk about this from a logical standpoint. You're telling me that this girl who is 26 years old sat in, in, in high school someday and thought, hmm, I would like to be a teacher so that I could have my summers off. That would be great. So then she goes to college and she goes to four or five years of college. Now she's in debt thousands and thousands of dollars. She now goes through the grueling process of her student teaching. She now has a job teaching kindergartners, kindergartners, a room full of monsters every single day and not just dealing with the kindergartners in that room full of monsters, but what other group of monsters is she dealing with? You can mouth the words if you know the answer to that. Parents. She's dealing every day with kindergartner parents. And she also makes a very inferior salary because she just started her job. And you're telling me, from a logical standpoint, she's doing that just so she can have June, July, and August off of work. And that was Teresa's belief. Well, it turns out that that was one of the reasons that the culture of the organization was not what the culture of the organization should be, and especially in an educational setting. So, do you believe people come to work just simply for the paycheck, or just simply for vacation, or just simply for these other reasons? Or do you believe that there's a chance that people show up every day because they want to give themselves to something bigger than them. So once we begin to walk through that with Teresa, she began to understand, shift the belief a little bit and begin to lead Teresa, I'm sorry, begin to lead Stephanie differently because of the mindset and because of the belief system starting to change. So why do you believe people come to work? So here's another, here's another example for you. If I show up for a session and some of you on this call are in the mechanical contracting world and I've been, I've been with you in sessions. So in the mechanical contracting world, when I show up to sessions, sometimes we do sessions for the field techs. So if I, and, and I know, because I've asked the question, that when these field techs are in this, and not just field techs, I'm not just picking on field techs, I, they're in all kinds of di in different industries and in all kinds of settings. There are people in my sessions that are there because they're told to be there. There are people in these sessions that are there because somebody said, this is part of the deal, you're gonna be there. So if I show up for that session with the assumption 
that they don't want to be there. It changes the way I approach that session. But if I show up for a session with the assumption that people are here because they want to grow and they want to learn and they want to become a better version of themselves, then that shifts my approach to that session. So here's the question again. Why do you believe people come to work? Play with that. Toy with that. And if you are leading people based on the assumption that they are simply there for a paycheck, it will negatively impact your leadership with them. So here are some things that I'm wondering about our actions and about our words as we walk through the day. I wonder if we are safe leaders. I wonder if we are safe leaders. I wonder if people feel safe to approach us, if they feel safe to... Um, talk to us about anything they need to talk to us about. I wonder if people feel safe and comfortable uh, coming to us even maybe with a personal issue of some sort. I wonder if we are safe to make mistakes around. I wonder if we are safe or do we look like um, we're mad every time somebody talks to us. This is a thing I found that I've loved about Zoom is because when you're on Zoom, you have to look at yourself talking and you have to look at yourself listening. And, and I'm going to tell you, I've looked at some of you for a long time and there are people that just look constipated the whole time you're talking to them and you just never know what they're thinking or kind of where they're going. Is that you? Are you a safe leader, a psychologically and emotionally safe leader? Are you safe to be around? And I'm going to tell you, that plays on me. Because about three years ago, last October, I realized that I don't think I'm that safe of a person. And so I took about a year just coaching myself and, and trying to get beyond some of the things that I felt like I was doing to not be that safe. So I, I just wonder, are we a safe leader? I wonder if maybe sometimes we blame subtly. I don't think anybody on this call, I'm hoping nobody on this call blames intentionally. But sometimes we can blame, we don't call it blame, but sometimes we can blame or place blame and do it very, very, very subtly. So here's an example of this. Um, you know, I, 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 some of us have said this before. I can say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mike, let me say this again because I don't think you're quite getting this. And when I say it that way, what have I done? I've blamed. It's subtle. I didn't even mean to. But I am telling him, you are not getting this. And we say things like that a lot. We say, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're understanding this. I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying. I don't thank you. I don't thank you. I don't thank you. Okay, what if we flip that around? And what if we owned our part of that? And instead of saying, I don't think you're getting this, we say something like, I don't think I'm communicating this in a way that's making sense. So let me back up and figure out a way, a different way to saying this. And I've owned my part of that. And that makes a huge difference than on how we, and again, I'm not telling anybody to do it on purpose. This is why this stuff can be very, very subtle. This stuff can be stuff that we're doing unknowingly and unconsciously. It's just because it becomes habit of our communication. Everybody on this call uh, has what I call a middle blank issue. Now, I, I want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to share too much of this because in an upcoming episode, I'm going to be talking specifically about the middle blank issue. So it, it, it's a fun one. But everybody on this call has a middle blank issue. And the middle blank issue goes like this. If blank would blank, then blank. 
right? If blank, that first blank, that's the weirdo. That's the person you're trying to deal with, right? If blank would just blank, that's a middle blank issue. That second blank, that's a middle blank issue. So if, 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 if Kevin would do this, then third blank, that's the outcome. That's the great outcome, right? And so all of us say it. Uh, if you're married, you, you say it multiple times a day. If you have junior high kids at home, you say it multiple times an hour. It just, it, it just, it's, it's always there. If blank would blank, then blank. You say it about the people you lead. You say it about the people that lead you. If blank would blank, then blank. Okay, that middle blank is what you're trying to get accomplished. If we're not careful, if blank would blank, then blank becomes a very blaming statement. And what happens is that now we leave it alone and we assume that it'll never change until they change. And that simply is not true. If blank would blank, then blank. The number one answer, if blank would listen, the number one answer around the country, I've asked people to fill in that blank. Number one answer, listen. If they would listen, you say, so they don't listen to me. So my question, my coaching to the leader is, what about that can you own? Instead of blaming, what about that can you own? Well, I can't own them not listening. No, but are you a leader or are you a person worth listening to? And if you're not, they are not the only ones not listening to you. Trust me, there are a whole lot of other people not listening to you as well. So what about that can you own? Are we, I wonder, are we subtly blaming the people around us for sometimes our own, uh, our own, our own way of, of being? I wonder if, um, do, we make, do we make creative and innovative thinking a thing? Do we really challenge people to solve problems? Do we challenge people? Now, I'm not talking about, man, that ain't my deal. You solve it on your own. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, are we challenging them to think differently than they've always thought before? Because if we just stay in this one mode of thinking, it is so easy to fall into a survival mindset, into a survival mode. We're trying to solve problems the same way we've always solved problems, and it's not working. Do we challenge our people? to think creatively and innovatively? Are we challenging them to solve problems in a creative way differently than we have before? Are we asking the right questions? I'm just wondering, are we asking the right questions or are we just settling for the way we've always done it before and therefore it's easier to slide in to survival mindset? Um, I'm gonna share a story with you and I think it's okay to share this and I'm not imposing anything on you. I'm just using this as an illustration. It's a story about... Jesus. And so if you're not a Jesus follower, hang on. This story still makes sense. And there's still a good leadership principle from this. So stay with me here. But there's there's this, and probably even if you're not, you've ever been in church, you know, you've probably heard something about the story. But Jesus is, is, is talking to this group of thousands of people. Uh, the documents say about 5,000 people. And, uh, and, and he, I don't know why he just doesn't do Zoom like we are. But anyway, whole nother issue. So he's talking to these, this group of about 5,000 people, and he's been there for a while. Uh, it's not a 45-minute Zoom like I'm giving you today. It's been, he's been talking for a while, and people are scattered everywhere, and they're getting hungry. And so when they get hungry, as you do, they get a little restless, and I think he could sense and tell yeah, people here are kind of getting hungry. And, and the restaurants are all shut down because I don't know if you know this, that was another coronavirus year. That's a joke. It was not another coronavirus year. But anyway, so restaurants are not around uh, because they haven't been invented yet. And, and, and people are starting to get hungry. And he looks at his team. He looks at his team and he says to his team, these people are hungry. How are we going to feed them? 
Why are you asking me for? You're the leader. I mean, you're actually Jesus. So you're way more than just a leader. So how are, I don't know how we're going to feed How are you going to feed him? And the principle behind that fascinates me because I'm quite sure he already knew how he was going to feed him. But instead of answering the question and going about solving the problems as some big bad leader would, he actually challenges them to think differently than they've always thought before. Are we challenging? Are we challenging? Are we challenging innovative and creative thinking? So I wonder how we respond to mistakes. I wonder how we respond to mistakes and how we respond to failure. And to me, this is one of, this is one of the top things that can create a survival mindset is when we respond negatively, consistently negatively to failure and to mistakes. Uh, I'm going to throw a flashpoint at you here, and you might want to write this down because I, I don't know if, I'm sure there are some of you on this call that you're, you're aware of this, but others of you, this, this actually may come as a little bit of a surprise. I don't know. So you might want to write this down so you can think about this later on. You have hired human beings. See, I can tell by some of the faces response. I think that's a shock to some of you. You've hired human beings. Human beings are going to make mistakes. And when they do, or when you do, how do you respond to those mistakes? And I just wonder sometimes if people now are scared to make mistakes. And you know as well as I do that in some situations, the more scared you are to make mistakes, the more mistakes you're probably going to make. And so people can be around you and they can be fearful, going back to, are you a safe leader? But how do we respond to mistakes and how do we respond to failure? Um, when we change our why questions to what questions, it changes the response to failure. So the next time somebody fails, some of, I, I used to do that and still do just by habit. So, a mistake is made or there's failure that's happened. My first question is, why did that happen? Or why did you do it that way? Why did that, you know, and it's the why, 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 why. And when you're asking the why questions, people immediately get on the defensive. And when I flip that around and ask what questions instead of why questions, it makes it easier and safer for people to answer. And now I can get to a solution for the next time. So instead of saying, why did that fail? Or why did you do it that way? I can ask the question, okay, what did you learn from that that you can do different next time? What about that didn't work? What about that did you notice should have been changed or should have been different? And when I change just that simple word from why to what, it changes the game. I just wonder how we respond, how we respond uh, to mistakes. Here, here's another thing. I wonder, I wonder if our leadership is personal. I wonder if our leadership is personal. Um, so many people, there's this, there's this myth about leadership. So many people believe that that leadership uh, is 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 a work thing. There's that work bubble thing again, right? It's just it's a work thing. Like, well, I mean, I'm the leader, I'm the boss, and they're not. And so there, there's this automatic chasm. There's this automatic dichotomy, you know, between us and them, and and uh, and and it's been around for years. And I just wonder if. If, if your leadership, I just wonder if leadership in general is personal. And, and when it's not personal and it's more work-related and there's nothing personal about it, it is easier than to see people 
as just objects or see people as just employees. But when it becomes personal, I am now seeing them more as people and more as humans and more as uh, a team. I just wonder if our leadership sometimes is maybe not as personal as it should be. Now, I know this is a delicate subject because um, probably there are those people, I'm quite positive there are those people that just aren't comfortable being extremely personal. So at your own level, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to say here's how far you should go or shouldn't go or whatever. At your own level, I, I'm, I'm a pretty personal guy. And so for me, it's easy to ask those questions or it's easy to share personal things. I, I don't get freaked out by that. And some people do. So at your own level, you got to figure it out. But is is your leadership personal? In other words, are you talking about cares and concerns beyond just the workplace? Are you talking about life as a whole? So I want you to remember, this. here's where this comes from. is I believe that that work bubble that we stay in sometimes creates and perpetuates that survival mindset. Um and, and so when we pop that work bubble and now it's life and work is just a part of life, it changes the game. And so am I having those conversations with the people around me about, uh, about you know, life and, and Little League games and how you feeling now and what's going on with your family and tell me what you did at Christmas and all those personal things that we think don't matter, but actually what it does is it humanizes you as a leader. So I just wonder if our leadership is uh, is 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 personal. I wonder if we inspire positive, or maybe if some of us have this tendency to lean towards the negative or towards real realism. Um, you know, you say you, you probably you've been there. I've said this to people. Say, so, you know, you, you come across a little bit negative, and I don't know if you ought to take that negative tone. They say, Oh no, I'm not being negative. I'm being a realist. Why is it that the realists are always negative? Why, like nobody ever says you need to stop being positive? And they go, "Oh, I'm not being positive. I'm being a realist." Nobody ever says that. I've never heard that before. Maybe you have, but I've never heard it. It's always linked with why. Why is it always that? And so I wonder sometimes if we maybe lean towards the negative less than we do the positive. Um, and I've said this for years that. If the absence of negative does not automatically guarantee the presence of positive, and I think that's what we believe sometimes. We believe, well, so you you know, some of you are even probably thinking around, well, Steve, I, I'm not being negative, and we applaud you for that. Thank you. And so, you know, keep not being negative, but that doesn't automatically mean you are positive. And so, positive is an intentional effort. And I wonder, I just wonder, if we are making an intentional effort to spin things on the positive, even if it seems bleak that somehow in our leadership we're spinning things on the positive. And in doing that, then, we are actually uh, inspiring hope and we're inspiring vision and we're inspiring something that should be there to give people something to hang on to of what life is going to look like beyond whatever it is that's bleak right now. So I just wonder if, if, we, if, we, if we spin to the positive or we spin to the negative and all of these things that we're talking about, they're, they're so subtle. They are so subtle that I, I just wonder sometimes um, where, where, we, uh, where we are on, uh, on, on these issues. So I want to pause for just a minute. My son Blake has told me I don't, I don't, I don't pause quite long enough. 
So I'm going to pause for just a minute, minute and ask you if there's any questions, if you want to like unmute yourself and, 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 and I'm recording this so I can have proof for Blake that I actually did pause longer than just a moment here. But does anybody have any questions so far? Any comments that you want to make? Anything uh, that, that, you know, we've been rattling on here for a little bit. So anything you want to throw in there or ask? I get, I get the question um, when I've talked about this in other settings. I get the question sometimes. If I, as a leader, am in that survival mindset, so if if I'm there and, and I've, I've now that we've walked through some of this, you kind of discovered, okay, I, I might be in that survival mindset, and I think all of us probably slip in and out of it from time to time. But if I'm in that, how now do I pop out of that? I, I've had that question before. Uh, I've also had the question, what do we do as an organization to create a different mindset than just simply survival? And so to me, the opposite of survival, and and, and I don't have, I'll be honest, I don't have just one answer for this. And so um, the, the the opposite of survival for me is, is full, is that I, I just think that and you know, as I said earlier, that we've all been made and created for more than just simply survival. And, and again, that, that's the dilemma. Yes, we have to survive. No question. Yes, you have to have the money. No question. But it shouldn't stop there. And um, I've even challenged some of the teams that I work with to rethink what your ultimate win is. What is that ultimate win? Is your ultimate win just the profit? Is your ultimate win just the money? And if it is, there's a chance that you could be spinning people into this, to this, to this mindset. So what can we do as an organization? What can you do as a leader? Um, and so I got a couple things I want to leave you with here just to kind of think about as you go about uh, your daily routines here of what we can do to be relatively sure that you're not perpetuating a survival mindset. I don't know. I don't know I can give you definitive answers. I don't know that you're ever going to be completely sure, but to be relatively sure uh, that you're not perpetuating this, this mindset. So here are a couple of things you can do with your team. And I think these are very, very healthy conversations. Uh, some of this you may have done, some of this you may have heard, and some of this you may not have heard of. And so uh, some of this might be a little bit new to you. So uh, one of the questions that I think is pretty healthy and one of the processes I think is pretty healthy for an organization to go through is to answer this question and actually create a document and put it in what I call a culture code for your organization. And this is that question. How will we lead in our organization? How will we lead in our organization? And I, I, here's why I think that is important. Because some of you are in very large organizations. And, 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 and even if you're in a small organization, you could have multiple leaders. And what happens in organizations with multiple leaders is that there are multiple leadership belief systems at play every single day. And so in, in, in one team's going to get this belief system, the other team's going to get this belief system. And then where it gets even more confusing is that when people are led by one, uh, I'm sorry, by two or more leaders, and they each have varying or different belief systems about leadership. And it gets very, very, very confusing. So it's much like your house, uh, your family. You know, your kids learn early on. You didn't teach them this. 
that they learn early on who they should go to to ask for what and who they should not go to to ask for what. And so some of you, and I can tell by your faces, that, that was you. And so you'd say, I'm going to go ask dad if we can, duh. And you say, no, 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 don't go ask dad. Dad's going to tell you, you got to go ask mom. And here's what you need to do when you ask mom. You know, <laughs> you knew all the little tricks, right? And so you knew. And so you go ask mom. She'd go, oh yeah, it'd be no big deal. And then dad found out about later and said, what on earth are you even thinking? This happens in our organizations. And so one of the ways we get beyond that is by answering this question and come up with this, this cultural leadership statement. This is how we are going to lead people. This is what we believe about leadership here at XYZ, the company. So this is how we are going to lead people. And then whenever you bring somebody onto a position of leadership, they are trained in those ways of leading people. And so the reason I say that this is important for that survival mindset is because I guarantee you nothing in your statement is going to say anything about leading people to have or, 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 or to work with this survival mindset. And so when you start to understand how are we going to lead people, it's going to help you lead through that whole uh, survival mindset. Here, here's another question. I love this one. Um, I, I wish I had enough information on this to actually make it a whole budge session. I just don't yet because it's kind of new and kind of fresh. But uh, I've, I've, I've put this in front of some of my teams and uh, hopefully they're working on the answer to this. But this can be this one. This one can be tricky. Um, at I'm gonna say the name of a company. Just make X Y Z. Just name just whatever the name of your organization is. So at X Y Z, we believe work should be dot dot dot. At X Y Z, we believe work should be dot dot dot. You see how that goes. So at at Heartland Credit Union. We believe work should be what? At Arista, we believe work should be what? At U.S. Engineering, we believe work should be... Finish that. What is that? What is that? And so uh, the more you begin to pound that out, we believe work should be... Everybody in your organization should know the answer to that question. And the people coming onto your organization, the people new to your organization... They should know the answer to that. And so here, here's what I'm seeing in my mind's eye. I'm seeing walking into uh, uh, the, 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 the cool lobby of an organization and they're on the wall bigger than anything, bigger than your mission, bigger than your purpose, bigger than your core values, bigger than anything on the wall that says, we believe work should be dot, dot, dot. And you finish that with what you believe work should be. And then when you decide and determine what you believe work should be, you lead to that. Now, again, you've got to figure this out on your own first. Then you get your team together and you start comparing the answers. And if you do that, I would love to know some of your answers. So please, please, please email me and let me know. Now, if you choose not to do that as a team or it just doesn't work logistically for you to do it as a team, then I would challenge you to do that as a leader. What do you believe work should be? Do you believe work should be survival? My guess is probably not. Do you believe work should be rewarding, challenging, fun? What should work be? And then you lead to that. That could change the game. Here's another one you can do as an organization. 
and you can also do this as a leader. Help people find the meaning of their work. Not just the meaning of the organization, but the meaning of their piece of the work. What I've noticed is that there are some people that don't understand why they do what they do as it relates to the entire organization. Uh, again, a lot of you in the mechanical contracting world, in the last seven years, I've worked with over 60 companies or associations in the mechanical contracting world. And this happens a lot with people, uh, but it also happens in banks. I've heard this from people in banks. There's, you know, I sit in an office all day long and all I do is fill in the blank. Uh, construction company, one of the construction companies I worked with early on, and they, they build these amazing, crazy, cool things. And um, there was a girl, that, all she did, and she said this, all I do is just sit and write checks all day long. You need to help her understand how she feeds in and the meaning of her work in the overall picture of the organization. This is one of the things that if you start reading the polls and the research, is that, that the reason people come to work disengaged, one of those reasons is people do not see the meaning of their work, not the meaning of the organization, the meaning of their work and how it feeds in to uh, the big to the big picture. So find the meaning and help people find the meaning of their work. And, and sometimes that can be uh, quite the difficult task, but I believe it's incredibly, incredibly necessary. And then here's one thing I think all of us can do to move beyond perpetuating this survival mindset. And it sounds maybe a little oversimplistic, but I think as you actually start to practice it, you realize that sometimes it is difficult in the middle of uh, you know, a very busy workday. Become more them-minded. Become more them-minded. Uh, I have tried, and I want to emphasize tried to practice that, and I still try to practice that uh, every day. And now you got to understand, I don't even have a job. So I know what some of you are thinking. Dude, you, you, it's easy for you because you know you do what you do. All you do is sit in your office and just talk on Zoom all day long. So, <laughs> and I get it. So I don't have a job. So, you know, here I am. But even in sessions that I do, just the people that I'm around, I if I go to Lowe's to buy a hammer, and I'm not kidding about this. I really am consciously aware. I'm trying to be consciously aware of being them-minded. You know why? Because I'm not always them-minded. And I know what you're thinking, but you're the sweetest guy I've ever met. Yeah, no, I'm not. I am trying to be more them-minded. Um, and what I mean by that is I am trying to talk more about them than me. I'm trying to be very, very active in my listening, and that is not always easy uh, when there's a lot going on and ADHD runs fluently through my whole system, but I'm trying to be active in my listening, them-minded, them-minded. I'm trying to be a better encourager. I want to encourage them with what encourages them, and I'm trying to say things, and I'm trying to do things that bring encouragement. To That's being them-minded. Um, there's a lot more with being them-minded. I'm just, it just be consciously aware of being them-minded. So here's a little challenge for you. Make it your goal and make it your ambition every day to make life great for them. 
Make it your goal, make it your ambition every day to make life great for them. And I can't guarantee you that you or them or your organization or your leadership will all of a sudden magically pop out of the survival mindset if that's where you are. I can't guarantee that. But what I can guarantee is that when you become a little more them-minded, you begin to show people kind of what their value is and what their meaning is in the organization. When you start answering these questions, how am I going to lead? How are we going to lead? I believe work should be started. It takes you on a different mindset. And my guess is you will move beyond just simply survival, and now you'll move to a place uh, of a little more full organization, a little more full leadership. 